We are not going to go through all of the introduction from last week, but I do want to just point out a few things to you as we prepare to listen to what God has to say from His Word. And this is the Word of God that is being proclaimed. When we stand and a messenger or a teacher of the Word of God stands, it is important that we let you know that what we are saying is from God's Word. It's not about tradition. It's not about what we think. It's not about uh, uh, anything that's going on in the world today. It is about how do we have a better picture, a clearer picture of the Almighty. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then some several thousand years later, we have the Lord Jesus Christ coming in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, we have the creation. This is what we go back to. It is a reminder as we looked at in Nehemiah chapter 9 on Wednesday night during our prayer meeting. Nehemiah 9 is a clear indicator of what we are to proclaim from the pulpit or from the rostrum or the podium or whatever you want to call it. It is even what we are to do when we are to stand before our children and we are to read and proclaim the word of God to them and let them know, thus says God's word. You see, if all you're doing is trying to teach your children some kind of morality or some kind of morals without the God of the Bible, you have no true morals. You see, this is why this dear precious sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom none of us will ever meet this side of eternity, There in northern Nigeria, the village was burned down by the Muslims. The Muslims will seek to convert you by sword, whatever means possible. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come bringing a sword. He came, laid down his life so that others may know the truth. There is a day he's coming back with a sword, a two-edged sword that's going to proceed out of his mouth, and he will come. I was thinking, where's he at again? Brother Al. You had this picture up here of the king returning. You know, sometimes I think we get this picture in our mind of of a European-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, long, nice-flowing hair Jesus that's going to come back on the clouds of glory and everybody's just going to fall in love with him and they are going to do everything that he wants. No. You see, for the entire world or the majority of the world, they are going to hate the God that we love. They hate him now. They will hate him when he returns. And when he comes, it will not be a pretty picture because he will be coming to bring judgment. This is why we focus in these last few messages, and we will probably until the end of the year, focusing on the purpose of Exodus chapter 20, and that is to focus on God. Who is God to you? Now we can... You can debate all you want to. You can look to the philosophers. You can look to what the world has to offer. But what they will produce is somebody who is much less than God. We tend to think sometimes even in church, we don't tend to think high enough of who God is. We must think higher of him because he is almighty. He alone is the one who is awesome. He alone is the one who is excellent. There is no other God like him. And if we focus on God, then we will understand 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this means it's not just for a Sunday morning between 11 and 12.15. It's on for a Monday morning. 
and a Tuesday morning, and a Wednesday, and a Thursday, and a Friday, and a Saturday, until we come back together collectively, and our prayer should be that how we have worshipped and seen God throughout this last week is how we come and bring our worship to Him today collectively. You see, if you haven't bothered to think about God this last week, if you haven't bothered to worship God this last week, you can't say that you're coming to church on a Sunday morning to worship Him because you haven't been doing it the last six days. It is important for us to be able to worship God with all of our being. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ says to love Him. How? With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or our being. These are the things that he commands us to do. And if we are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a difference between a true believer and a false believer. A true believer is one who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, who seeks to flee and reject the sin that is in their life, who knows they have been forgiven, and who have, has confidence that he who began the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a true believer. A false believer is somebody who can come to church, they can sit on the pew, maybe they have never ever placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you think because you're a member or because you have done X, Y, or Z within the church that somehow that makes you a Christian. And nothing could be further from the truth. You see, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 in the Olivet Discourse, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking and he says there will come a day when the wheat and the tares will be gathered together or the wheat and the weeds the wheat will be gathered into bundles. They will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. But there are going to be some who the Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand and proclaim judgment and say, depart for I never knew you. I believe that that is the saddest words that we ever read in scripture. Depart for I never knew you. You see, there are a lot of people that think they know Jesus because they have said a little prayer or because they've been in church all their life or because they were born a Christian in their estimation. The Bible says that you have to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This again is why we look, because we have failed to obey this law. Every one of us have broken them. We have talked about the numbers before. If, if we only committed one sin, and for those who don't believe that you're a sinner, the Bible is clear that anything that is separating us from the holiness of God is sin. This means that whether it's a small white lie. In places like West Africa, by the way, they call it a small black lie. But they tell a little lie, and to them it's not a big deal. But the problem is that the more you can justify of your own sin, of your own nature, of your own life, the easier it is to think that somehow God owes you something. My friend, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to give us eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't have to come and die on the cross. He was still God whether he did that or not. Whether heaven was inhabited only by the Trinity or not, he would still be God. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you have sinned just one time, if you had only, if you could live such a life that you only committed one sin in your entire life, you would still need Jesus. 
If there was only one sin that was committed by every single person in the world, Jesus would still have had to die on the cross to atone for that sin. But we do much more than that. You see, if if we commit just one sin a day over the course of a lifetime, we'll have committed 25,550 sins. You see, now it adds up, doesn't it? Just one sin per day, 365 days a year, times approximately 70, which is about what the age limit is, 25,000 sins. And if we look at every one of those 25,000 sins as a death sentence that required the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that to atone for your own sin will require you to be in hell forever. You see, there is no purgatory. There is no in-between state. There is no nirvana. There's either a heaven to gain or there's a hell to shun. That's it. There are no other options. Not because Mark Escalera said that, Not because that's what we have on our sign as a Baptist church. It's because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father but by me. Amen? Amen. It's an exclusive religion. It's an exclusive faith. And it is excluded to everybody in the entire world except for those who come by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for salvation alone. You see, all the good works that you can possibly do are not going to grant you entrance into heaven. They're not going to grant you one step. They're not going to grant you one chip off of the gold pavements or the pearly gates. So in looking at the context of the law, it is important that we saw that our sovereign God cares for us in many ways. And we gave you the reminder that the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They had moved from Egypt they, where they had lived for 430 years as slaves. You know, we don't understand that because we have it really good, don't we? Do you realize that there are actually more slaves in the world today than there ever were living under the Roman Empire? There are people who cannot do anything on their own. They are subject to their masters. Their masters can do whatever they want to, including kill them. The majority of slaves today live in the Muslim world in the 1040 window. It's not something that we have to worry about though right now. But what if persecution was to come? What if God did allow? If you or anybody here like reading history, okay, how quickly can a nation fall? Very quick. Uh, let me remind you of Daniel and Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5 where Belshazzar is throwing a party with all of his wives and all of the rich people within the kingdom and that same night they didn't even see the water of the river that flowed through Babylon slowly sinking as it had been diverted right under the very noses of the Babylonians and that very night while he's looking at this and he's making Daniel the third in the kingdom, the Medes and the Persians walk through the water into the city and take it over with hardly a shot fired. One night was all it took. 
This is why when we look at the politics of our world today, there is a mess. I don't think anyone here, would, several of you remember the Cold War, right? Okay, mainly between Russia and America and Glasnost and Perestroika and all of that stuff. And, and you know, the meeting between Reagan, for example, and Gorbachev that was held in Iceland and, and Jimmy Carter and the SALT II Treaty, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what good does that do us today? Absolutely nothing. Those countries are now gone. They're coming back again, or some of them. And we look and we see what is going to happen. We look at the rise of countries like China, for example. If you think China is going to sit still right where they're at and they're going to be content with that, you don't know Scripture. Because it is going to happen. There is going to come a time when this world is going to get worse. And I don't believe that we are exempt here in America. And so here in Exodus chapter 20... They have barely gotten out of Israel or gotten out of Egypt and Moses is reminding them through the word of God. Uh, I want you to understand how blessed you are that God has preserved you as a nation. Despite all of your foibles, despite all of the complaining, despite all the murmuring and rebellion. You know, there are times that I have looked and I have read the story multiple times or the account of, of Old Testament Israel and sometimes I think they should have adopted an official motto that said, we murmur for a living. Because that's exactly what they did. Every day, something else, something new. God gives them manna, that's not enough. We're going to complain for meat. So he gives them meat and he tells them, listen, all you have to do is gather it on six days, leave the seventh one for me. What did they do? They went out on the seventh day to go get more meat. It wasn't enough. So last week we concluded by a couple of points. Number one, we saw the identification of his person. I am the Lord. When the scribes would write the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, they were very precise in copying them down. Every letter had to be counted. Every word had to be counted to make sure. And if they made any mistakes, the scroll was thrown away. That was a great expense to do that. And every time we see, I am the Lord, what we are hearing or what you should recognize is that by the calling of his name, he is saying, I am the self-existent one. I don't have to have you, but I choose you. Therefore, don't worship any other gods because they didn't do anything for you. I did. Hosea 13.4 Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. You see, this was simply a forerunner of, of what was going to take place when we go from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And, and as John the Baptist is standing there and he sees across the hills and he sees a head begin to appear and then a little bit more and finally he comes over that last hill and walks down to the Jordan River. And as he's walking, John the Baptist points him out and he says, Behold, he's not pointing to himself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of creation has been waiting for this day. And now he's here. 
And not even the disciples understood what was going to transpire over the next three years. Can you imagine how, must, how horrible it must have been for the 12 disciples as they're following the Lord Jesus Christ? There are times he had 70 following him. Sometimes there were many more that were following him. Some followed him just for the bread. And yet at the foot of the cross, we don't find anybody on the cross with Jesus. He's there by himself. I am the Lord. I will not give my glory to another, he says in the book of Isaiah. And then we saw the immutability of his person. Not only am I God, I am your God. You see, there are a lot of people in the world today, even within evangelicalism, and they will tell you things like, well, you know, I'll I'll accept him as my savior, but then I want to live my life my way. No. The Bible says He is Lord whether you choose to make Him Lord or not. Whether I choose to make Him Lord or not. Whether I recognize it or not. It's like that little bumper sticker. And I said this a couple of Sundays ago. There's a bumper sticker that used to be very popular and it says, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. We can almost say the same thing. God says He is Lord, I believe it, that settles it. But no, that's not true. The Bible says it and that settles it whether you choose to believe it or not. I am thy God. He sets himself far above the, the mere gods, the mediocre gods of Egypt. There would have been no doubt that he is the sovereign who controls all things after all. I mean, this, this is the God who brought frogs and lice and flies and plagues, and eventually killed. I mean, what God knows every single person, every single household to know that I'm just going to kill the firstborn. God was very specific. Can you imagine going down to the river? One morning, you're going to go draw water, you're going to take a bath, and it's blood red because it actually is blood. God destroyed the gods of the Egyptians out from underneath them. And we find that his provisions are unfailing though. He's still protected. Our God does not change. He cannot change. The Israelites couldn't change this. We read Psalm 121. David says this, My help comes from the Lord. The one who made heaven and earth. God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be innumerable And for this to take place, it would take an unchanging presence that never sleeps. You know, Brother Al, I I was considering what you were saying this morning. Do you know there are only two groups of people who have ever been persecuted to the level that they have today looking for their total destruction? The children of Israel and the church of Jesus Christ. No other group. You see, because Satan knows his time is short. He knows, as we learned in the, in the beginning, we learned it in, in the book of Daniel this morning, at the end, we win. We win because he won already. God stresses the importance of who he is and that he is their God. It is a sovereign provision that he not only chose them, but he condescends to be their God and to be our God. Today, nothing has changed. We sing hymns like, How Great Thou Art. 
That should lift our voices. We should not. It, we should struggle to be able to get through hymns like that, Brother Diego. Just to be able to realize how great he really is. And we, we just don't understand. There is a teaching today that is found and it's even creeping into evangelical churches that God is the father of all and that all of mankind are his children. And that is not true. You see, the Bible is clear that only those who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are his children. And because of that, there's the importance, letter C on your notes, the importance of his protection. Listen to Psalm 81. Psalm 81, beginning at verse 5. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God is reminding them just as he reminds you and I If you are saved this morning, it is because you were once a wretch. You were once a totally depraved sinner. There was nothing in you and I that God needed. There is nothing in you and I that seeks after God. Romans chapter 3 is very clear about that. There is none who seeks after God. But the Holy Spirit comes and shines the light of his word upon us. We hear the ministry of the word. We hear the proclamation of truth. And the Holy Spirit brings us to the point where we recognize, apart from God, I am doomed. Just as it was with the children of Israel. I brought thee out. You were a helpless people. The Hyksos were a nation who ruled Egypt. They were a powerful people who subjugated the land. Their armies were well equipped, but they feared an uprising by the slaves. And their fear was that the Hebrews would join with Egypt's enemies in order to leave the land, thus leaving Egypt with no slave labor to build its great cities or its pyramids. And unlike the Hyksos, the Hebrews were helpless because they were despised for raising sheep. Egyptians hated sheep herders. We find that they were a house of bondage, a hopeless people. A slave has no hope for the future. Now, in our society or in our culture, we don't truly understand what it means to be a slave. Now, sometimes we may think that we are enslaved to our job. That's not the same thing. When we go to a job, yes, we are commanded to follow the orders that are given to us. And we do them. Sometimes we do them grudgingly, but we still do them. Otherwise, we don't get paid. We find ourselves looking for a new job. But there is a difference between a servant and a slave in the Bible. You see, a servant was one who could come and go. They might, you could say they punched a clock. But a slave had no choice. A slave couldn't come and go. A slave was commanded by the master to do whatever 
was asked of him or asked of her. The children of Israel were hopeless. They lived each day in fear as though it may be their last. If a master had no use for a slave, he could even kill them or sell them away from their families. The master didn't care. And in the bondage of Egypt, we find this. Egypt is a type of the world or a type of sin. Anytime you see within the scriptures people going down to Egypt, they are going down. It's a representation of what it means to go down into a life of sin. You see, the children of Israel, they thought that Egypt was a place of leeks and garlics and onions. All the good things that the world had to offer. And if we go up there, after all, we don't know what tomorrow brings if we go to the promised land. Nobody's ever been there. We don't know whether there's any fruit or vegetables. We don't know if we can hunt there. We don't know what the people are like in the land. And God says, that's because you have to trust me. For 430 years they had been slaves. They had not only been slaves to Egypt, but they had been slaves to the gods around them. Living in despair, living in sin. And this morning the question that you should be asking yourself is, if I truly know this God that Mark is speaking of this morning, was there a time when I was in despair over my sin? You see, you can't live. God does not call us and save us so that we can remain in our sin. He saves us out of our sin. He saves us so that we will be free from the condemnation. He saves us in such a way that He changes us, heart, soul, and mind. Can you imagine how horrible it would be, Brother Tim, if we didn't know how much we have been saved from? Can you imagine how difficult and how horrible it would be to wonder how much sin we have to do in order to be able to get more grace than somebody else? The bondage in Egypt controlled their body and it controlled their mind. In fact, if you remember, Moses, he goes down, he wants to try to save the children of Israel. He goes and he kills an Egyptian in order to protect one of his own people. And he goes the very next day and they say, well, are you going to kill all of us too? No, I'm here to rescue you. And he has to run, number one, because it was not God's time for them to be rescued. <clears throat> not just the bondage of Egypt, but the bondage of sin. It's certainly a unique parallel that the world resembles Egypt even in their hatred of lambs. Egypt was bound in sin and in their hatred of sheep and the world is bound in sin and its hatred of the perfect spotless lamb of God. You see, the world doesn't love our God. If the world loves God, the world loves uh, Invention of their own choosing, of their own making. <clears throat> Should we wonder if the world hates God's lambs as well? Which is what we're called. Wouldn't be long before the Hebrews again were wanting to go back to Egypt. They, they wanted to be embraced by the world. They wanted to be loved by them. And it took losing an entire generation before they could even move to the promised land. 
And I think that it is sad that sometimes we, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we can find ourselves preferring the garlic and the onions and the leeks of what the world has to offer us. We believe that the pleasures of the world are worth going after and instead of laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and where thieves cannot break in and steal, we want to save it up right here. And I'm not talking about just what you've got in your wallet or purse. But then we find, fourthly, the ingathering of his people. Firstly, the children of Israel, a small tribe. It wasn't a tribe that was chosen because of their military might, because of the amount of money that they had, because of how big they were. The Bible says that they were the smallest. They were insignificant. But because they were small, because they were insignificant, God chose the children of Israel in order to bring glory to himself, not to the world, not even to Israel. Their sin was compounded by the continuous rejection of the God who redeemed them. The love was his alone. But we find that not only were they a small tribe, but they were called to be a peculiar people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. To show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. People ask you this week, well, what kind of church do you go to? We go to a peculiar church. What kind of pastor do you have? Oh, he's very peculiar. (laughs) If we're a peculiar people, it's because of Jesus Christ. The word peculiar speaks of an act of acquisition. It means preservation, purchase, or possession. And how like our Lord Jesus Christ to choose people unto himself. By covenant with himself, he preserved them as did or as he did with a bride for his son in the New Testament. He's speaking of the church. This is why we see the Ten Commandments, because what they had in the Old Testament was not what they would have in the New. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. And when he fulfilled it, he said, there is now a greater law, and it is because of what I completed on the cross. Thirdly, a holy nation. As soon as they were punished for their sin, what did the children of Israel do? They went on a grosser sin. It wasn't enough. They had to keep compounding the problems that they were in. And the abominations got worse and worse. Their name as people of God brought severe condemnation from the Almighty because it was a blight. It was a mark against His perfect holiness. And like manner, to be called a holy nation is a type of the church that was to come, which is us. This is seen as found within the local body of believers. This is not a, this is not a, a position where you can, go and, you can go and sit by yourself in your car in your garage. That doesn't make you a car. Sitting in your house by yourself, reading the Bible is not church. There are certain aspects of church that have to be present in order for it to be a representation of what Jesus Christ did when he died for his bride. 
The church is called to to complete holiness. Not partial holiness. Complete holiness. And to be holy is simply to be set apart from all that detracts from the glory of God. I've used this many times in my counseling. I've even done it with my own family members. I have done this as well. And I even mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago. And my encouragement to you was this. Go home. Take a sheet of paper. And write at the top ways that I am selfish. If you really want to know what your heart is like. Try to come up with more than just 10 or 12 or 20 answers. Don't stop until you can hit 50 to 75 ways that you're selfish. Because every one of us do it. Whether it's in our spiritual life, our emotional, financial, whatever it may be, we all act in ways that are separated from the holiness of God. But you know the wonder is that for those of us who are believers... The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Finally, they were called to be a nation of priests or we're called to be a nation of priests. What a difference between the Old Testament where only one high priest could go in at a time every single year for just one time. If he did something wrong, if he stepped wrong, whatever it is, he had a rope tied around his ankle and they would drag him out dead. How different from the New Testament church. Israel being led by the Levites, you and I being led by one another as we are encouraged, encouraging one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You see, it's not just my responsibility to encourage you. It's your responsibility to encourage me. And for all of us to encourage one another, knowing that we are all priests of the Most High God, you have just as much right to go into the presence of God and call Him my Father. as what I do. Old Testament Israel didn't have that. Sadly, the worship of Israel often led to worship of self or the evil gods. But we come before the throne of grace humbly, boldly. We've shown, it's been a couple of years now, but we have shown you some videos that we looked at about what church is like in some places. And they've got the smoke pots and they've got the band and they've got this and that and the roller coaster on stage and the swimming pools and all of those things, the elaborate get up. And you know the reason why they do that? Number one, because the word of God is not sufficient. And secondly, they do those things because they are entertaining the goats, not edifying the sheep. Finally, this morning, I want you to be encouraged as we consider the bride of Christ. Walter Chantry commented thus, Sinners are boxed in to only one hope for recovering themselves from the iron grasp of the devil. And it is this, if God will grant me repentance. With, if God before him, a sinner may cry to God for God's omnipotent mercy to save a helpless wretch. You know, even even in our hymn books, a lot of our hymn books have been changed. 
It used to be, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. Would He devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? As you see, in the 21st century, we don't like being called worms. I would rather worship a God who can take a worm and make a child of the Most High God. I would rather worship a God who can take a worm, somebody who is less than an ant, can set his feet on the solid rock, and then make a promise that one day he is going to come back for me and for you. Is that your God this morning? Membership in the Bride of Christ comes by placing your faith in the Lamb of God. Repenting. Forgiving. Being forgiven of your sins. Not by keeping the ancient law given to Moses. Christ came to show that only one could keep the law perfectly. Only one could come and gain favor with God the Father. And it wasn't you and I. That was God the Son. And only now, through Christ, as we go from here this morning, only now can we realize that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. What a glorious truth. A truth not available to the Old Testament believers, but it is available to us. And if that really is the truth that you're hanging your hat on this morning then you too will know the peace and the confidence that comes from knowing you are one of His. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as one who knows what it is like to, apart from Jesus Christ, be nothing but a worm to be a miserable wretch. To now be able to rejoice and say that I am a sinner saved by grace. We're getting ready to sing the, the hymn of John Newton, that famous man who was a libertarian, a wretch in every way, and yet gloriously saved. The one who was later in life able to write those words, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And Father, there may be some this morning, maybe just one, maybe more than one this morning, and their faith is not in you alone. Help them to see that the only way that we come to Christ is by recognizing that we are sinners and that you redeem us, you set your love upon us. The children of Israel had it so good and yet they gave up so much. Help us as a church this week. Help us as we individually and then collectively come back together as you so design and according to your will. Lord, help us to see and understand the truth of your word to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Father, we thank you again for our time today. We pray that you've been glorified. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins where we need to be forgiven. That you would help us to live in the mercy, the grace, the love, the long-suffering, the patience of a Savior who's coming back for us. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.